Well, good morning. Please turn again to James chapter 3 and verse 13. It's page number 1215. Before we begin, let us pray. Let's pray. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the foods of your holy word. Take your truth and plant it deep in us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know what comes into your mind when you hear the word wisdom. Perhaps it's wisdom in knowing what to buy for Christmas. What do you buy someone who seems to have everything? Well, on Thursday, I bought the Times newspaper. And inside, I discovered what Tony Blair has bought George Bush. So here are some ideas for Christmas. In recent years, the Prime Minister has bought the President a Barber Classic coat with zip-in vest and snap-on hood. Or even better, how about a black leather toiletries bag with his initials GWB embossed in gold? It will cost $350. Some great ideas for Christmas. Or maybe when you think of wisdom, you think of your career. Should I take that job offer or not? Do we move for dad's job or do we move for mum's job? Or wisdom might bring to your mind playing chess. A few weeks ago, I was playing chess with a chap called Cameron. We sat down with people watching us. We arranged our chess pieces look each other in the eyes and we both made some rather cunning moves and Cameron won the only thing is Cameron Nash is just 10 years old well this morning we're going to think about wisdom what does having wisdom really mean is it about buying Christmas presents deciding career moves and playing chess or is it more than that C.S. Lewis had his own views on wisdom And he said this, The next best thing to being wise oneself is to live in a circle of those who are. So what does having wisdom really mean? Well, in the book of James, we find the answer. If you turn back to chapter 1, verse 5, chapter 1, verse 5, we find that James writes about wisdom at the very start of his letter. So let's look at verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom... He should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. And then in chapter 2, verses 14 to 26, we come to the very heart of this wonderfully practical epistle, which is, faith without deeds is dead. And if you look at verse 18 of chapter 2, it is the keynote verse. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me, and note those two words, your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. Now, notice what happens here. It's important we get this. The phrase, show me, is the same one used in chapter 3, in verse 13, where he's speaking about wisdom. In effect, he's saying to us, do you claim to have wisdom? Then let me see the evidence. Why? Because true wisdom will show in your life. And so this morning, 
We're going to think about this question. What does having wisdom really mean? And there are three things to notice here. And here's the first one. Wisdom explained. Wisdom explained. So how does James begin? Verse 13. Look at what he says. Who is wise and understanding among you? Now, I don't know if you've ever taken an IQ test. An IQ test. Anyone? Well, last week, for the sake of a sermon illustration, I went online and I took an IQ test. Now, before I share this, here's what the website said. Our original IQ test is the most scientifically valid IQ test available on the web today. Our exclusive test assesses your performance in 13 different areas of intelligence, revealing your key cognizant strengths and weaknesses. Now, I read that, and I thought, this is just what I need. Wait until Sunday morning. Wait until I tell Charlotte Chapel my score. They are going to be so impressed. (laughs) Or not. And so I sat down. I answered a load of questions like true or false. Nine chickens, two dogs, and three cats have a total of 30 legs. And I thought I did okay. And so I pressed, what's my IQ? The button on the screen. And what happened? A sign came up which said... Please pay $9.95. Now, being, being Scottish, do you think I'd pay for it? No chance. No chance. Well, in verse 13, if you look down, James is talking here about wisdom and understanding, or knowledge. And there is a vital difference. Let me explain. Let's take the word understanding first. It comes from the Greek, word, the Greek word epistemon. And it's a word you would use to describe someone who's an expert in something. In other words, it's about intelligence. Now in two weeks' time, I'll be going back to St. Andrews. And it's not to play golf, because I can't play golf. It's to lecture again to some students. Are there any students here this morning? Well, if you're a student, you will know there's a particular aspect of your course that you sometimes dread, is there not? And what is it? The exam. You have three hours to share your knowledge with the world. What I thought. Well, on Wednesday, I had to agree the exam for my class. Exams are good for you. What do you mean, no? They are. Why? Because they assess your understanding. And James is saying here, that your mind matters. It really does. And that's what Jesus said. He was once asked the question, of all the commandments, which is the greatest? Which is the most important? And what did he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. So knowledge is important. And anyone can be knowledgeable. But folks, not everyone can be wise. And let me explain why this is. I find this helpful. Knowledge has to do with intelligence. Okay? Wisdom has to do with insight. A big difference. And in the Bible, they're often linked together. So let's unpack this. I'm going to read for you three different verses. Okay? And I want you to see if you can spot a pattern here. And as usual, there are no prizes. So please don't expect any. Now the first... It's from 2 Chronicles, chapter 1, and verse 10. And it's where Solomon famously asks God this question. 
It's coming up here. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? And now the second is from the book of Job. In Job chapter 28, verse 12, it says this. But where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? And finally, Hosea chapter 14, and verse 9. And it says this. Who is wise? He will realize these things. Who is discerning? He will understand them. Now, did you spot the pattern? Wisdom always comes first, doesn't it? And the reason is because it's God-centered. Dr. James Packard puts it like this. Not until we have become humble and teachable, standing in awe of God's holiness and sovereignty, acknowledging our own littleness and distrusting our own thoughts, and willing to have our minds turned upside down, can divine wisdom become ours. And so we can say two things about wisdom. And here's the first one. It begins with conversion. It begins with conversion. Let me illustrate this. We live in Dunfermline, over in the kingdom of Fife. A week passed on Thursday. It was our fellowship group night. And now that night, we met in our house. And everyone arrived, we put on the DVD. And we had a great time of discussion together. And at the end, we played a game called Articulate. It was boys against girls, and somehow the girls won. But one thing kept coming through that night, and it was this. When you become a Christian, your view of God changes, doesn't it? You have a new respect for who he is. You see, you begin to realize that God, he's not your mate, and he's not your buddy, and he's not your pal. And he's not some aloof and distant deity either. He is your heavenly father and he is awesome in power. And that, says the psalmist, is where wisdom begins. Listen to this. Psalm 111. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. And so it begins with conversion. And secondly, it grows with communion. Now let me tell you why I like my fellowship group, or at least most of them. I'm only kidding. It's because you get to know people better, and you spend time together, and you find out what they're really like, and how they're so competitive. Uh, Board games. And listen, it's the same in your relationship with God. Every morning, my alarm goes off. I get up, I get out of my bed, I put on my contact lenses, not like that, and I have a choice to make. Richard, will you spend time today with God in prayer? And will you spend time reading your Bible? Because Richard, if you do, you will grow in your wisdom. I like to think of it this way. Knowledge grows with the activity of your mind. Wisdom grows with the attitude of your heart. Let me read from the Psalms once again. It's a great Psalm, Psalm 119. I'm not going to read the whole of it. And here is how the psalmist puts it. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. So let me give you a friendly challenge. 
we are almost at the end of 2006, and it's hard to believe. How about in 2007, reading through the whole Bible in a year? Yeah, it's a great idea. And the way you'll do it is you'll follow a daily guide you can buy downstairs at the bookshop and let your relationship with God develop. It's a great idea. And so that is wisdom explained. And let's look at wisdom tested. Wisdom tested. And this is vintage James. It really is. Look again at verse 13. Verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Now, last week, I heard a fascinating story about elephants. And it's actually hugely relevant to what James is saying here, believe it or not. So, you ready for a nature lesson? Okay, let me tell you what happens. Last week, researchers in America were observing the behavior of some Asian elephants. And as part of their test, they painted a white cross on the elephant's foreheads. Then they put them in front of a big, large mirror, and they observed. Now, what they found was this. One of the elephants kept touching the mark on her forehead when she looked in the mirror, which showed elephants are self-aware. The things you learn in Charlotte Chapel. Now, here's the point. What is James saying? He's saying this. Go on. Take a look in the mirror. Test yourself and see if you have true wisdom. Now, I am sure that you have looked in the mirror already this morning. And I can tell because you look very smart. At least from what I can see anyway. But let's look once again. And as we do this, we're going to find that James spells out for us two kinds of wisdom. And they are miles apart. Firstly, there is an earthly wisdom. In other words, it is a false wisdom. And if you look at verse 15, we are told its origin. Its origin. Note three things about its origin. It is earthly. Such a wisdom has nothing of God about it. Alec Motier writes this about such a person. At the very centre of their being, where their life finds its direction, at this vital centre of the world, and its whole and its ways are the whole object of attention. So that's earthly. Secondly, it is unspiritual. And thirdly, notice it is devilish. It is of the devil. And so that's its origin. But notice, secondly, its characteristics. And we see this in verses 14 and 16. It is characterized by bitter envy. So let's take an example. I am not a great golfer, as you know. I have been to the golfing range a couple of times. And if the ball actually goes in the air, it's a bonus. It's a bonus. Now, in contrast, Tiger Woods is a great golfer. Is he not? He is. But imagine this. Imagine if I was in my lounge at home one day, watching Tiger Woods play golf on television. And I thought to myself, hang on, he's much better than me. And I sat there, turning greener and greener and greener. And then in walks Ian from my fellowship group. And I turn and I say to Ian, Ian, See that Tiger Woods? Who does he think he is? He's a rubbish golf player. Now let me ask you, what was my problem? There's two words, bitter envy. And there are two more ugly words here. Selfish ambition. In other words, me first always, thank you very much. 
Get out of my way, because here I come. So that's its characteristics. And I thirdly note its results. Its results. Verse 16. Look at its tragic consequences. Earthly wisdom brings disorder and every evil practice. Think of it this way. Imagine if Tiger Woods left America and he now wants to live in Dunfermline. And he comes to my house one day. He rings the bell. I answer the door. And I say, Tiger, great to see you. And he also meets Ian from my fellowship group. And remember, I have said all these nasty and untrue things about Tiger Woods. Why? Because I was jealous. Now let me ask you, do you think that would affect their relationship? Okay? Would Ian's view of Tiger Woods be marred? Yes, it would. Wouldn't it? And listen, the same can happen in a church family. Paul Blackham from All Souls Church wrote this. Pride, envy, and selfish ambition are not understandable feelings. They are the work of demonic power, corrupting and destroying the church family. But thankfully, folks, there is also a heavenly wisdom, a heavenly wisdom. And what a contrast. Verse 17. Again, note its origin. Where does it come from? It comes from heaven, from God. As James has said already, chapter 1, every good and perfect gift is from above. And secondly, note its characteristics. Now, let's suppose that Tiger Woods really did move to Dunfermline. Okay, not much chance, but let's suppose. And just suppose he did come to my house one day. And because I now have a heavenly wisdom, I am no longer jealous. He rings the bell, I answer the door, and I can say this time, Tiger, it's great to see you. And I really mean it. How about some free golf lessons? Why? Because my heart is pure. It is God-centered. You see, why should I be envious? It makes no sense. And if you look at verse 17 again, that's what James writes. True wisdom will show in your life. And how? Firstly, by being pure. By being pure. And this has to do with our heart, our motives. What was my motive for playing articulate with my fellowship group? Was it to beat the girls? Absolutely. Well, if you are wise, says James, then look at your heart. And in verse 17, we find this little word, then. If you look at verse 17, and it's a vital link word. And it's as though James tees off with this word, pure. Then the rest of verse 17, he gives us a brilliant checklist. Okay, so let's stop. And let's ask ourselves these seven practical questions from verse 17. Question number one. Peace-loving. Am I the kind of person who causes division in church or at work? Or do I bring people together? It's quite a tough question. Question number two from verse 17. Consider it. Am I only concerned with my ambitions and goals in life? Or am I thoughtful? Question number three. Submissive. Am I so sure that I am always right, even when I may be wrong, or am I open to reason? Question 4, verse 17. Mercy. Do I bear a grudge against that person forever? 
Or do I forgive those who have wronged me? Question five, good fruit. Would my colleagues or neighbors say that I'm a little bit selfish? Or do I help where I can? Question six, impartial. Do I show favoritism to those with clout and position in the church or at work? Or do I treat everyone the same? Question seven, sincere. Would people say that I'm a little bit two-faced? Or would they say that I'm a genuine kind of person? That's its characteristics. And I thirdly note its results. Look at verse 18. And we'll unpack this more next week. The result is brilliant. It's a harvest of righteousness. I like this story about John Wesley and George Whitfield. And it illustrates this very well. Wesley and Whitfield had many things in common. They knew their Bibles well, and they both loved Jesus. And yet, on certain theological issues, they were miles apart. And one day, one of these issues came to a head when Wesley published a sermon entitled Free Grace. On Christmas Eve, 1740, Whitfield wrote a long letter to Wesley. And his letter was clear, it was firm, and it plainly showed that they stood in opposite doctrinal camps. And yet, towards the end of that letter, Whitfield wrote this. Thought it was great. Nothing, he writes, but a single regard for the honour of Christ has forced this letter from me. I love and honour you for his sake. And when I come to judgment... I will thank you before men and angels for what you have under God done for my soul. Isn't that great? I thought it was brilliant. And I wonder if you and I would have written that. When I come to judgment, I will thank you before men and angels for what you have under God done for my soul. It showed the humility that comes from wisdom. And finally, let us look at wisdom personified. Wisdom personified. And before we come to this table, I want us to read from 1 Corinthians and chapter 1. It's page number 1144. 1 Corinthians and chapter 1. Wisdom personified. And we find in this chapter, it's a marvelous picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it reminds us why we're coming to this table this morning. So let us read 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And let us read verses 18 to 31. It's important we read this. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligence I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. 
a stumbling block to Jews, and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many were influential, not many were of noble birth. But God shows the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God shows the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Look at verse 30. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Last weekend, I went to see the movie The Guardian. There's a film starring Kevin Costner as Ben Randall and he's a rescue swimmer with the American Coast Guard. And I love action films. And so the high point for me was when Ben descended from the safety of a helicopter to rescue swimmers in trouble. Well, in these magnificent verses, we are reminded that in a far, far greater way, Jesus Christ descended. And but this time, it was from the splendor of heaven. And this time, it was to rescue sinners in trouble. As Hebrews chapter 2 says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little older than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor, because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. And folks in Christ, he has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. And so as we come to this table now, let us reflect on what it means to be truly wise. And let us give thanks from our hearts for the one who has become for us wisdom from God. Let us pray.